heights to the depths of the sea. Abner is going to take Saul's youngest son, Ishbosheth, and he is going to make him king and seek to put him on the throne over all of Israel, including Judah, whom Judah has already proclaimed David as their king. And so you can always sense that there's something going on here. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Abner, Saul's cousin, was the commander of Saul's armies for many years. When he first met David, he was a young man. Abner failed to protect his king by letting David close enough, giving him an opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't. As Judea was anointing David as king, Abner made Isbosheth, Saul's son, king, probably so that he could be a real power behind the throne of a weak king. For two years, David allowed Isbosheth to reign over most of Israel. These two years showed remarkable patience, long-suffering, and trust in God on David's part. Again, we learn David allowed God to take the lead. Now let's join Pastor Rob. 2 Samuel. We're going to look at chapter 2 this evening. Last week we looked at the first seven verses of of 2 Samuel chapter 2. And pretty lengthy chapters. And tonight... We're going to get through the rest of the chapter, but let's go ahead and read the first seven verses, and then let's, uh, we'll start at verse 8. So it says it happened after this, meaning after this, meaning that David or, um, or Saul had already passed from the scene. His sons had passed away, were, were killed in battle with Saul. And David, as his heart was, just so large and loving Saul, even though Saul didn't love him, David respected the man, he respected the office. And, um, and as a result of him and his sons falling in battle to the Philistines, David wrote a, a lament or an elegy for Saul and his best friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, And so when it says, and it happened after this, that's what it means. It happened after this, that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, and so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. And then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. 
And so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown this kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I will also repay you this kindness, because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So a really interesting moment in Israel's history, an interesting moment in David's history. David, had, having been anointed king many years prior to this, and now he is going to go up to Hebron, which is a, a city which is south of Jerusalem and west of the Dead Sea. And David is going to go there with his wives, with his, all his men that were with him, the 400 or 600 men that were with him, their wives, their kids. They were all going to go up to Hebron. And as a result of going there, his own tribe, the tribe of Judah, they made David king over them because Saul had passed from the scene. And now there's this vacuum in Israel. And, um, but Judah decided, and, and they knew in their hearts that David was the rightful king. And we'll look at that this evening. And so notice what it says. Notice what it says in verse 1. But Abner. <laughs> but Abner. Whenever you read something and, and then it says but someone. You know, it could be but John. But, you know, whatever it is. There's always a, a change in the flavor of what is happening. And certainly Abner is going to come to the forefront here, his general. Notice what it says in verse 8. It says, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Now, Judah had anointed David in Hebron, but now Abner is going to take Saul's youngest son, Ishbosheth, and he is going to make him king and seek to put him on the throne over all of Israel, including Judah, whom Judah has already proclaimed David as their king. And so you can always sense that there's something going on here. You can sense what's going to happen, and certainly it does. There is a, there's going to be a war between these two, between Judah and between the rest of all of Israel. Now, Abner, it's interesting how Abner decided to make his son. And that seems to be the normal thing. When a king dies, his son normally takes his place. We call that nepotism. Um, nepotism can take many forms. It usually happens in, in, in king's succession. Or it could happen at a job site. Uh, the owner of the, of the company makes his son the CEO, and, you know, and, and, and so it goes. But Abner, he was either ignorant of the call of, on David's life, or he was in rebellion against it. And it's very possible he was in rebellion against the revealed will of God. And we'll look at why that is. And it's a dangerous thing, isn't it, to be against the one whom God has chosen Whomever God has chosen, if you're against that person, you're on really shaky ground because you are messing with what God has ordered and what he has ordained. Doesn't it say in Romans 13 
that you know the 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 powers that be they are ordered they are ordained by God he has the right to put down one and raise up another and so he does it's a dangerous thing to plot against what God has chosen because God has a plan and woe to you if you are working against God turn with me to acts chapter 5 we're going to look at something here the title of the message this evening, I gave it a title, I didn't need to, but I titled it Working Against the Will of God. Working Against the Will of God. And this is exactly what we see Abner doing. But turn with me to Acts chapter 5, because we're going to see this kind of thing. And unfortunately, history has a tendency to repeat itself. Something happens, and it doesn't take long before man does the same exact thing over and over again. He doesn't seem to learn from his mistakes. Have you noticed that? Have you learned from all of your mistakes? You know, I'm 51 years old, and I feel like I'm just now getting it. But prior to that, my life was always testing God. I can do better, God. I can do better. I, can, I, don't, I, I won't get caught because I'm better than the other guy who got caught because he's just not as smart as I am. And God's going, okay, I can't wait to see this. News at 11. Pastor gets busted, right? <laughs> So that is the way it is. But look at Acts chapter 5. We just don't seem to learn. And we're not very discerning. And again, we're looking at something, you know, back a thousand, around a thousand BC. And now, fast forward now into the first century AD, right after the church is born. Notice what, a, uh, what happened in chapter 4 and 5. You remember that Peter, James, and John, or Peter, or, or, uh, Peter and James, yeah, James and John, they heal a man in the temple. The religious leaders get all uptight about it because he, you know, they've never seen anything like that. And so they, they arrest them. They bring them in. They threaten them. And then an angel of God lets them loose in the middle of the night. And the angel of God tells them to go back and do the same thing they were doing the day before. So the angel releases them. They go out and they do the same thing. And they get arrested again. And now they're standing before them, the religious leaders and the Sanhedrin which is a member of 50, 51 men. I'm sorry, 70 or 71 men. And they are the ruling class in Israel. And notice what it says that after what I just shared with you comes to pass. It says in verse 33 of Acts chapter 5, that when the religious leaders heard this, they were furious. And they plotted to kill them because they had just gotten out of jail. They don't know how they got out of jail. An angel of God got them out of jail. They can't explain it. The guards can't explain it. There's, there's a lot to be, there's some heads are going to roll literally over this. So they heard this, they were furious, they plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Remember this name, because Paul was brought up under the tutelage of this man. Because Paul, again, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. So Paul respected this man greatly. So he stood up, this Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and he commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing." And after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, 
Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this, is a, if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. <laughs> Very good counsel, wouldn't you agree? Fighting against God. And what wisdom? If it's not of God, it's not going to come to anything. And if it is of God, you better be very careful. And it was of God. All the miracles that surrounded Jesus' death and resurrection on the day of Pentecost, the miracles that occurred there and continue to occur afterwards, this was not something they could just hide. It was something that was very, very noticeable. And you cannot overthrow it lest you find yourself fighting against God. Raise your hand if you'd like to fight against God. I don't want to fight against God. I want to be his friend. I want to be his subject. I want to be subject to him in everything. I don't want to argue with him. I do that. I've done that. And you have too, by the way. I can see by the looks on your faces. You probably even did it before you came into church tonight, arguing with God in the parking lot. But we do. We do. There was a a wonderful pastor and an author named Cyril Barber, and he said this concerning Abner. He said, Abner knew God's choice was David, yet he took a course of action diametrically opposed to what he knew was right, and he has many followers even today. In business and industry, law and government, medicine and human resource management, entertainment and the arts, and especially in education, people will deliberately formulate plans, make policy, engage in activities, or teach material with scarcely a thought to the ethical ramifications of their actions. The result is a moral breakdown that has brought our nation to a position of spiritual and ethical bankruptcy. Does that sound familiar, America? It does. It sounds very familiar. And that quote came from a book that was written in the year 2000, 21 years ago. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We have this tendency to go against God's revealed will. Knowing God's will and saying, no, thank you. Doesn't it, doesn't it say in the scriptures in Psalm 14? Doesn't it say, the fool has said in his heart, no, God. The fool has said in his heart. Some of your Bibles say there is no God. But either way, whether the fool says there is no God or whether he just says no God, it doesn't really matter. Both are in a pretty bad place. Look with me at verse 18 of chapter 1. And this is, a, to me, a, a mirror, if you will, of our country right now. I think in every generation, every man who stood behind a pulpit could say the same. But as time goes on, it becomes more vivid, more colorful, more, you know, it used to be a faded color, and now the vibrant colors, are, it's, just, it's becoming more saturated, this, this, this dependence, the uh, independence of God, this, this um, aberrance, this objecting to God. And, and putting our fist in the air and saying, we will not have you rule over us. We, want, we don't, don't want anything to do with you. Read with me from verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, 
who suppress the truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Does that happen in our media today? Is, is the media suppressing truth? Oh yeah, they're suppressing truth, all right, and they're blocking you, they're canceling you. If you're a Christian and you've got something good to say, they're going to cancel you. They're going to go after you. They're doing it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Sounds like many universities today. College professors. I remember one college professor, I had to write a paper, and I had a very different viewpoint on, on the professor. And I didn't know the professor, and that was my, my first check against me. I really didn't know him, because had I known him, I might have just written what he wanted to hear. But I was pretty naive as a freshman in college, so I wrote my own heart, my own opinion, based on facts that I have learned and gleaned from. And let me tell you, the paper I don't think was that bad, but he failed me in the paper because he, did, he disagreed with my opinion. His was a worldly worldview, and even as a non-Christian, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I was bringing morality into the paper, and and I, I got failed. He failed me. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Certainly, speaking of idolatry, of 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 anime, or you know objects. Therefore, notice, God gave them up to uncleanness. And this is what we see in our culture now, in the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. God made Adam and Eve, and it was good. He said that they were good. They were to be with each other, and they were to have intimacy, and they were to fill the earth. But notice, but they exchanged the the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful. It won't be long when when a passage like that will cause a church to be banned. It's already happening in Canada. They're running them out of town for reading passages like this. I wonder how long it'll be before they'll censor me because I believe and read the Word of God. You may laugh and think, well, that'll never happen in America. Well, things are changing very rapidly. You better be praying. We'd better be praying. Likewise, also the men, they burn in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Notice, God gave them over. There comes a point where your, 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 your very conscience becomes seared. When a conscience becomes seared, it means there's no longer any room for the truth. You've made up your mind. It's solidified. I'm, 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 I'm in this now. I'm not going to budge. And there are so many folks that have gotten to that place. 
And if you be careful if you find yourself being so rigid about something that our culture is selling you. Because before long, you can, your conscience can be seared. And you are in a very, very, very bad place. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder and strife and deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but they also approve of those who practice them. Totally against the will of God, against what he says. That's where we're at in America. And you remember when the children of Israel, when they were in, in Egypt, before they fled or before they left, what did God tell Pharaoh? Pharaoh, let my people go. He told Moses, Moses, go before Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. So Moses does. He brings Aaron, all these miracles and the lights and the plagues and the frogs and the blood and the water and everything else. And finally, you know, all throughout this, Pharaoh's going, yeah, we'll let you go. Yeah, we'll let you go. No, I'm not going to let you go. And then God brings another thing and then another thing and then another thing. And finally, he takes his firstborn. And then finally, it breaks the back of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not interested in doing the will of God. God spoke very clearly, this is what I want you to do. And yet he decided, no, I am not going to do that. And finally he does let them go, but then he changes his mind. He pursues after them. You remember the, the, the historical events and how God delivered them through the Red Sea. But the will of God is spoken, and yet there are people... And we do it ourselves. We go against it. Abner was one of those men. Abner, I believe, knew that David was to be the rightful king. But instead, he chooses to put his Saul's youngest son, Ishbosheth, who was really a, uh, the youngest and really the most inexperienced of, all, of everyone. And it's really Abner who was on the throne, wasn't it? Abner. He, he was really the power behind Ishbosheth. So who is this Abner? It tells us, we, we, we've been talking about him in 1 Samuel, but just to refresh our minds, he is the commander of, of the army of, of Saul. He's the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. And of course, Abner now, is because he's related to Saul, he's got this job. And, we, and, and this is what we call nepotism. And nepotism is the practice whereby those who, with power or influence, are favoring relatives or friends, especially by giving them jobs. And, and that's been going on since the beginning of time. And nepotism is not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. After all, who would know better the intimate dynamics of things relating to a family or a family business or, or a dynasty other than the one who was a part of it? those who share the same vision of it. Those, those are the people who, who know. And it would, seem, it would seem very necessary and make a lot of sense for someone.
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.